Good morning, church. It's great to see everyone here this morning. If you're visiting with us today, we're so glad to have you part of our family. Also, if you're tuning in live, we're glad you're worshiping with us today as well. Now, if you're visiting with us or if you haven't been here in the last several weeks, I want you to know that we've been in a series that's really been all about walking. And what we're talking about in this series is our walk with God and what that looks like. Now, if you've missed any of these lessons, you can go back to our church webpage or our church Facebook page. We also have a church podcast. We want to encourage you to go back and listen to those lessons because I think that your life will be, in, your life will be enriched and blessed by God's Word and this series. But today we're going to kind of wrap everything up. We're going to conclude our series. And I want to begin today by asking you guys a question. How many of you like to go for a walk? Okay, maybe around your neighborhood, maybe at a park. Julie and I, we love to go on walks. And one of the things about going on a walk, something you really have to think about if you haven't walked in a while, is at some point, you've got to turn around, right? There's, there's a turning point so that you can turn around and go back to your car or go back to your house. And what I'm here to challenge us with this morning is there's something very similar that we see in the Scriptures. Something that the Bible calls repentance. And, and this is where we turn around. Repentance means a change of direction. We're turning away from sin and we are turning to God. And so that's going to be the direction that we're going to go this morning. And I want us to start out in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. We looked at this verse not too terribly long ago. Here the believers, they are talking with Peter on the day of Pentecost, and they ask him the question, what shall we do, or what can we do? In light of the fact that they had had the Son of God, Jesus Himself, crucified, and notice what Peter says. He says, each of you must, what church? Repent of your sins, and what? And turn to God. You see, there's a turning point, right? We're turning away from sin, And we are turning toward God and living for God. Peter continues this message. In Acts chapter 3, verse verse 19, he says, Now what? Repent of your sins and what? Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. In other words, now that I'm a believer in Jesus... I'm going to start heading in a a different direction. I'm going to start making some changes in my life. After all, if we didn't need to make any changes in our life, then we really wouldn't need Jesus, right? Kind of reminds me of the lady who joined an exercise class and the instructor said, listen, when you come to the first class, make sure that you wear some loose clothing. To which the lady replied, sir, if I had loose clothing, I wouldn't have joined this class. And in a spiritual sense, if I wasn't a sinner, deserving of eternal death, 
and separation from God, I wouldn't need Jesus. But I am. So I need to repent. I need to head in a different direction. And and here's the deal when it comes to repentance. Repentance isn't just a one-time event. Right? It, it's not something that you do at the beginning of your walk with Jesus and, and then you stop. No, for the follower of Jesus, it's something that we do on a continual basis. In fact, this morning as we gathered around the Lord's Supper, one of the things that we're supposed to do is we're supposed to think about and focus on what Jesus did for us, right? The bread, which represents His body, and the fruit of the vine, which represents His blood. And we're, we're to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But also in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, as you gather around the Lord's table, as you think about these emblems, he said, I also want you to examine yourself. Where, where am I in the faith? Where, where am I in my walk with Jesus spiritually? You see, whether we came to Jesus a week ago or five years ago or 25 years ago, we need to continually repent. We need to continually examine ourselves and look at our walk with Jesus. I mean, now that I've given my life to Jesus to save me from my sins, it would be crazy for me to continue living the same way of living that Jesus saved me from, right? Some of you may say, well, Slate, how do we know when we're doing that? I mean, what are the marks of a person who is genuinely attempting to turn their life towards Jesus. Well, I think there are four marks. I think there are four things, and I'm going to mention these to you very quickly this morning. First of all, conviction of sin. Repentance begins with conviction that says, I've made some moral mess-ups in my life. John says this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we what, church? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, the Bible talks about how the human heart can be very deceptive, right? And, and that self-deception can run pretty deep. So what I want to do is something I haven't done in a long time. I, I want to do a little experiment with you this morning. I'm going to put up on the board behind me the Ten Commandments. Okay? And, and as we go through the Ten Commandments, I want you to keep up with all the commandments that you have never broken. Okay? And then we're going to come back at the end and we're going to see just how good you are. Okay, so let's start with commandment number one. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. And so this morning, if you have always put God first in every area of your life, then you can count that as a commandment that you have never broken. Commandment number two, you shall not have any graven images or idols. 
Now, I, I realize that we can make idols out of all kinds of things today, whether it's our car or our house or our job or our kids or money. But listen, I'm going to let you off the hook today, okay? If you have never actually made a graven image or an idol and bowed down and worshipped it, then you can count that, okay? I'm being nice this morning. You can count that as one that you have never broken. Here's commandment number three. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. In other words... If you have never used God's name or Jesus' name in a swear, if you have never used God's name or Jesus' name flip, flippantly or carelessly saying things like, oh my God, then you can count that as one that you have never broken. Number four, remember the Sabbath day. And keep it holy. And the way we're going to work this one is this way. If you have never skipped out on a worship service in your entire life. I'm not talking about being sick or, or you know, something legitimate. But, but you've never just skipped out on a worship service in your whole life. Then you can count that as one you've never broken. Number five, honor your father and mother. If as a child you never disobeyed your parents. Or if, as an adult, you've always been respectful to your parents, then you can count that as when you've never broken. Number six, you shall not murder. Some of y'all are like, whew, I finally got one, right? <laughs> oh, man. Now, hey, listen. Remember what Jesus said, though, right? Jesus said, listen, if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, then you're guilty of murder. But I'm going to be nice, okay? If you've never committed the physical act of murder, then you can count that as one you have never broken. Here's the next one. You shall not commit adultery. And I think we all, or, or for the most part, we understand what adultery is. If you have always been faithful to your spouse sexually, if you have never gotten with someone else's spouse sexually, you can count this as one that you've never broken. The next one is you shall not steal. If you have never stolen a dollar, not out of a sibling's piggy bank, if you have never taken a towel from a Holiday Inn, if you've never stolen a pen from a bank, okay, y'all with me? If you've never stolen anything, you can count that as when you've never broken. Here's, here's the next, you shall not lie. If you've never exaggerated a story, if you've never looked at a friend who said, does my hair look okay? And you're really thinking, man, it looks terrible. But you actually say, oh, it's fine, it's great. If you have never lied, you can count that as one that you've never broken. Now, of course, if you say you've never lied, you just lied, so there's that. <laughs> um, but anyway, here, here's our next one. This is our last one, commandment number 10, you shall not covet. If you have never, never been envious, if you have never been jealous of someone's look or, or someone's talent or someone's house or someone's car or someone's spouse or someone's boyfriend or, or girlfriend, then you can count that, 
Okay, you can count that as one that you have never broken. Now, tally those up in your mind. If you have never broken all ten commandments, raise your hand this morning. Jesus, we want to see you. Where are you this morning? Nobody. What about, what about nine commandments? If you've never, never broken nine commandments, raise your hand. What about eight? Wow, you are wicked people, man. Seven? Yikes. So, okay, well, I'm not going to go any further. I mean, I don't want to embarrass anyone. But it's very obvious, right, about who we are. We're sinners. And if we claim to be without sin, we're only deceiving ourselves, John says. Now, Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 16, verse 18, He says, and when He, that's the Holy Spirit, comes... Notice what He will do. He will convict the world of its, what church? Of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. You ever had a time when you came to worship? And well, you just, you felt uneasy. Or, or has there ever been a time where, man, you... You had a restless night. You, you couldn't sleep. I mean, you just tossed and turned thinking about something that you did that you shouldn't have done. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us of sin. That's why a man by the name of Isaiah who came into the very presence of our holy God said, Oh no, I will be destroyed. I am not white church. I am not pure, and I live among people who are not pure. That's why Peter said to Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am such a what? A sinful man. That's why even Paul said, right? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the what, church? I'm the worst of them all. There are those times when we think about the things we've done. God, I haven't been the father and I haven't been the mother. I've needed to be to my, my kids. And I haven't been the spouse that I need to be. And, and God, I've been carrying resentment and hatred toward this person in my heart. And God, I haven't been honoring you by the way I treat my body. And God, I've been looking at bad images on the internet. And God, I've been doing things that I shouldn't be doing behind my parents' back. And, and God, I've said terrible things. And, and God, I've, I've just been selfish. You ever had those times where, I mean, you just, you, you have this deep inner spiritual wrestle with yourself and the things that you've done. That's, that's conviction. And that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. And it's one of the marks of, of genuine repentance in our lives. And really it opens the door for the second mark, which is this, brokenness over sin. Brokenness is a huge part of repentance in our lives. 
I think about what the psalmist writes in Psalm 51, verse 17. He says, the sacrifice that you desire. This is, this is David talking to God. The sacrifice that you desire is a what, church? A broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Oh, God. It's this attitude that says, I'm broken. I'm broken by what I've done to you, God, and I'm broken by what I've, I've done to others. God, I am just so sorry. How many of you have ever been pulled over by a policeman? Thank you for your honesty. And, and when the policeman, someone like Paul, comes to your window, I'm sure Paul's heard this several times as a state trooper, how many of you have looked at the police officer and said, I am so sorry? Thank you, Brian. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry. I, I know better. I'm, I'm, I'm so ashamed. I feel so bad about this. Or, or maybe you didn't say it to the policeman. Maybe it was to your parents after you got caught. Right After they find out that you've had this speeding ticket and, and you look at your parents and they're like, I am so sorry, I feel so bad about this. But here's the question, were you genuinely sorry or were you sorry about the fact that you got caught? Right, That's the question we have to ask ourselves. Because true repentance is marked by genuine sorrow and remorse. I think about Pete Rose. How many of you remember Pete Rose when he played professional baseball, later became a coach, and really should have gotten inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, but he got caught gambling on baseball, and he lied about it. And finally, Pete Rose came to the conclusion, they're never going to let me into the Hall of Fame until I admit what I've done. So he wrote a book, and in this book, this is what he wrote. Yes, I, I bet on baseball, and it was wrong. And I suppose that people think I should feel bad about it, but I am not wired like that. So why don't we just get past it and move on? No sorrow, no, no remorse. Then there's a story in the Bible that's really just the opposite of that. You have Peter, and we talked about this not too terribly long ago, where Peter made this, this bold claim to Jesus, I, I will never deny you. Right? He said, in, in fact, I would die before I ever denied you. And then he did. He denied Jesus three times. Then the rooster crowed. And the Bible tells us that he locks eyes with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 22, verse 62, the Bible tells us that Peter runs out and he weeps bitterly when he realizes what he's done. I love how the message paraphrases this. It says he went out and he cried and he cried and he cried. That's brokenness. Over sin. Now, once there's been conviction about sin, brokenness over sin, it should lead, thirdly, to the confession of sin. 
Psalm chapter 32, verses 2 through 5, the psalmist says, Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away. And, and that goes back to that conviction, right? Those, those times where, where we're sitting in worship or we're laying there in bed and we're thinking about the things that we've done, but we haven't confessed it and, and man, it's just eating away at us, right? The guilt, the shame, the embarrassment of, of what we've done. He says, when I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day, day and night. Your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I, white church, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me and all my guilt. You know, there are two components to confession. First of all, there is the confession of our sins to God. John talks about this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins to Him, that's God. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, while God is the only one who can forgive us of our sins, confessing them to Him, the Bible also says that we, we should confess our sins to each other. And we looked at this just a, a couple of weeks ago. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be what, church? So that you may be healed. There's, there's healing in confession. Confessing, confession to God, confession to others. When we confess our sins to others, we find encouragement and accountability to help us overcome those sins. Also, when we confess to others, when we say, this is something I struggle with, there's, there's something healing about the fact of, of someone looking you back in the face, in the eyes, and saying, listen, you're not the only one who struggles. Me too. I struggle with sin. And, and at that moment, you began to realize, I'm not alone in this. I'm, I'm not the only one. Also, it just feels so good when we have someone who has experienced the grace of God who assures us, listen, God still loves you. And I still love you. And so we can be convicted about sin, we can be broken over sin, and, and we can get down on our knees and we can confess our sins to God and, and we can confess our sins to others. But if our repentance stops there, our repentance is really incomplete. And, and really, this is the heart of the lesson today. And this is why I felt like it was so important to tie this in to our walk with God. There's, there's one last mark of, of true, genuine repentance, and that is change. And, and we don't talk about this a whole lot. Right? I mean, it's, it's one thing to confess to God, and it's one thing to confess to others, but 
are we truly making that turn? We're, are we truly turning away sin and turning back to God? Or are we making this, this change that Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8-10? through 10? Paul says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know that it was painful to you for a little while. You see, Paul had written a previous letter to the church at Corinth. And man, he really confronted them on a lot of the sin that they were engaged in as a church. And he said, I know that that hurt you. And, and he said, it hurt me. It, I, I really just didn't even want to send the letter. And, and even got to the point where I regretted sending that letter. But he said, now, he said, no, I was sorry at first. Knowing how painful it was for you for a little while. He says, but now I'm glad I sent it. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent. And what, church? Change your ways. That's, that's the purpose of repentance. To change our ways. He goes on to say, it was the kind of sorrow God wants His people to have so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us, white church? Away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, which lacks change, change results in spiritual death. Let me ask you a question this morning. What was the difference between Judas, who betrayed Jesus, and Peter, who denied Jesus? Because, you know, really, as you look at both of these stories, both of them were convicted of sin, right? Both of them were deeply broken. Both of them confessed what they had done. But there was one difference. Peter changed. Right? Peter truly repented. Listen, there will be this ongoing, unresolved conflict just hanging there between us and our relationship with God if we don't change. In fact, our relationship with God will start becoming like our relationship with other people when there's unresolved conflict. And some of you know what I'm talking about. When, when you have a friend or someone you know that you have conflict with, what happens? There's, there's some distance there, right? And, and maybe things are, are cordial. You know, maybe you see them at work or, or maybe you, you see them in the neighborhood and it's like, hey, how you doing? And, and the same is true spiritually, right? I mean, when we don't change, when we continue to live in that same sinful practice, it puts distance between us and God. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2, God says, your sin has separated you from me. There's, these, there's this distance. 
Now, it, things may be cordial, right? I mean, you may continue to come to worship and, and you may continue to sing those worship and, and praise songs. But it will continue to be distant because when we get close to change, it gets convicting, right? So you keep your distance. Listen, if God brings you to the point of change, transformation in your life, don't say no. Right? It's, it's when we say no to God, to, to the things that God gives us in His Word. It's, it's when we say no to these things and we're not living like we know we're supposed to be living that we end up getting in deep water, right? That's why God gives us this love, this love letter. That's, that's what the Bible is. He's saying, listen, I, I love you so much, I want to show you how you can live. I want to show you what the blessed life really looks like. And it's when we say no to God that we end up in deep water when it comes to our marriage, when it comes to our kids, when it comes to our finances, when it comes to work. Right? That's when we get messed up is when we say no to God. And so John says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, he says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and you have what, church? Turn to God. That's the turning point, right? When we prove by the way that we live, when, when people look at our life and they can say, man, they have really made a change. And, and some of you may be thinking right now, was well, that even possible? I mean, can people really change? I'm telling you, being a minister for 25 years, I can tell you honestly this morning, yes, people can change. I've witnessed it and, and I've experienced it in my own life. I've seen some of the most hateful, bitter people become some of the most loving, compassionate, kind people. I've seen greedy people who said, this is my money and this is my stuff, who became extremely generous. I've seen selfish people who have become selfless and, and servant-hearted. I believe in change because I've witnessed it. And I've experienced it in my own life. But it's time for some of us to say, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to deny it anymore. And I'm certainly not going to continue to make excuses for why I continue to do the things that I do. I don't want to have a cordial and distant relationship with God. God died for me and He rose from the grave so that I could live. And live a good life, a blessed life. And I'm not talking about having a ton of money and the nicest of cars and the biggest of, of, of houses, but, but a house that is, is truly blessed. Because it's free of guilt and shame, and embarrassment, 
wreck, just sleepless nights. That's a blessed life. And so this morning I, I want to pray before we close out. And after our prayer, we're just going to go right into the invitation song, Danny. And uh, if there's someone here this morning who wants the prayers of our congregation here, we're, we're a family. And, and I'll tell you what will happen. I know so oftentimes, um, especially if you're visiting, maybe you've had a bad experience with church and maybe you, you think, man, if, if I come forward and I ask for prayers, people are going to judge me and they're, they're going to look down on, on me. That's not the way the family at Central is. I guarantee you this, will, this is what will happen. If you come down asking for prayers, there's going to be a bunch of people who are going to come down here with you, put their arms around you, and probably whisper in your ear and say, I've been or it may be this morning that you want to come up and we have paper and pens. This is always available. You can take some time and write down some things that you want us to pray about. The elders and the ministers here at Central, we, we love uh, taking the things that are placed up here and praying over them during the week. We believe in the power of prayer. We will, we will pray for you if you want to put some things up on the cross this morning. Or if there's someone here today who wants to begin their walk with Jesus, you want to put Christ on in baptism. Oh, man, we, we would love to help you with that today. Um, but let's begin with prayer and, and then the lessengers. God, we just come before you this morning, and Father, all of us realize we're sinners, and we are so desperately in need of a Savior, we're in need of you. Father, we just pray that we'll always seek you and put you first in our lives. That's what matters the most. That is, is truly where we find the blessed life, free from guilt and, and shame and just showered with your presence and your comfort no matter what we go through. That, that all comes from, from you. It's, it's where we experience joy and peace and patience and kindness and all those things that we, we read about in your word that only you produce within us. Father, we know that all of us every day we're tempted to walk away from all that by the deception that there are things in this world that are better that are going to bring us more joy or more peace. Satan loves to try and get us to believe that you're holding out on us. That you're your word is just a book of rules just to control people and just to get people to do what you would have them do instead of looking at it as a, a love letter where you want us to be truly blessed. Father, I pray that if there are any, any blinds on our eyes this morning, if there's anything impure inside of us this morning as David prayed 
Father, please reveal those things to us. Help us to turn away from those things. Because we realize when we say no to you, that's, that's when we find ourselves in big, big trouble. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We're thankful for the fact that no matter what we've done, we can always come back to you. And we can always have the forgiveness of our sins. But let us never take advantage of that. Help us to truly repent and to turn from anything that may hurt you or hurt others. And Father, we just pray this prayer in the power of Jesus' name. Amen.